Hey, hello there, Nick here. I'm the Director of Worship Arts and Director of Community at Holy Trinity Silicon Valley. Before we begin our sermon podcast for today, I wanted to extend an invite to you to join us for our Holy Week celebrations this season. Starting on March 28th, we'll be celebrating Maundy Thursday, followed by Good Friday, then Holy Saturday, and of course, finally, Easter Sunday. If you'd like to know more about how to join us, you can head to www.holytrinitysv.org for more information. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Several years ago, one of my cousins gave me a Bible. She said was from one of our great uncles. I barely heard of this great uncle, but I liked the Bible. It was a little travel Bible. It was a wonderful leather cover with, a, I believe, a snap on it so that you could keep it closed. And I treasured this. It's always great when you know that somebody in your ancestry got the Word of God and so with some anticipation and joy, I opened it up. And on the fly leaf, I saw my, my great uncle's name. I thought, oh, this is, this is so cool. And I began to flip through the scripture. I think the Bible was made in the late 19th century, so that was neat, this whole legacy. And I'm going through page after page, looking at it, marveling at it. Then it dawns on me that I, it looks like, it feels like I'm the first person to actually turn the pages of this Bible. They were just as crisp as the day they were printed. There was no underline. There was no marginal notation. There was no indication whatsoever that my great uncle had opened it. Now, I don't mean to throw off in him. I actually don't know much of his spiritual journey. I'll make the charitable assumption. Perhaps he had a big Bible that was full of marginal notations and underlines, but not his travel Bible. But it struck me that this is too often the missed opportunity that even we with Bibles have. We we are given the Word of God. The Word of God is a treasure that's presented to us. And we take it, and too often we keep it closed. At the very point that the Lord himself would have us open it and discover things about him, discover things about our life, discover things about the purpose that he has for us, to discover the ways that we are loved, the ways that we are looked after, the ways that we are cared for. If you just reflect for a moment on the readings that we've just heard, they are speaking to us about the word of God. They're speaking to us about what it does. Listen again to the psalm that we read together, up just a few places. <clears throat> Excuse me. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, the f- giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. I want us to look at just a few things about how Scripture works, because this psalm tells us what, how God intends it to have an impact on us. It speaks to us about the value that it's meant to have in our lives, the priority, if you will. 
And this may not be necessarily new news to many of us here, but I pray that it would be a timely encouragement for the season that each of us is in, for the things that are ahead of us, for the concerns and cares that we brought into the sanctuary today. How does scripture work? What is, what is the psalmist delighting? And the psalmist is delighting. He's saying the law of the Lord is perfect. There's nothing that we can add to it. Its origin is in God himself. He is the one who has given us this law. He is the one, and the law, as you heard read in the, the Old Testament reading, was what we call the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. It is talking about, it, it is a way in which we understand the God who made us, his power, his majesty, the holiness that surrounds him, and our response to him, that we might know what? How to have a good and right and healthy relationship with him. So he says, I have priority because I'm the one who made you. Don't have other gods. Our world loves to create other gods. And in Bible times, they often fashion them after things that they could see, whether animals or birds or human sort of hybrid figures. It's like, no, that's not who made you. That's not who loves you. That's not who desires you to come deeper into relationship with me. And then in that same Ten Commandments, he, he goes to honoring parents. You should honor your parents. Should, should, well, keep holy my Sabbath. Make sure that there's a day where you're just resting in me, where you're recognizing that you can't do it all the time. Life isn't meant to be lived 24-7 without interruption. Life is meant to be lived according to the way God's designed it in the rhythms that he has purposed. Six days is sufficient for the work. Seventh day, our bodies are just made to rest. By the way, we were talking about this in catechesis, this is a Sabbath day, this is a day of rest, this is the day of Christ's resurrection. It is a day of rejoicing, it is a day of rest, it is a day to come away. But then the, those same commandments go on to tell us about other things that, that God wants for us that we might as a people, as a group, as a nation, that we might know how to live well together in a way that is considered healthy. So he, he's, they sound like negatives. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't tell lies. Don't do these things. Some of you may have been raised with the don'ts, but the don'ts are a way of just trying to put some, uh, some specifics to it, so that some force to it, but the positive of that is when you're not murdering somebody, when you're not, as Jesus would say, when you're not even thinking ill of them, then health is allowed to, to grow, to bloom. When you're not coveting what your neighbor has, then envy doesn't have a way of getting into your soul and rotting that and being a perpetual alarm clock in your mind that says you're never to be happy. It's going off again. You're always envious. Like, don't covet what your friends have. Don't steal. Don't tell lies. Imagine a company that had this as a motto. Imagine some kind of political group or a nation or a city where this was on display. Imagine a, a culture where this was at the top of the list. This is why part of the reason what Israel was supposed to do was to reflect the way that the Lord works these things out, the devotion to him, and yet the regard and care for one another. 
Imagine that. It's hard to imagine given so many things. But the law, as the psalmist says, is, is perfect. It refreshes the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. They make wise the simple. The statutes, the thing that God has said, the word that is contained here, both Old Testament and New Testament, they are things that are trustworthy. They, you can count on them. You can bear weight on them. Have you ever had a little table that you sort of put too much stuff on it and it kind of collapsed? Or some other bit of furniture that you made that uh, somehow didn't support what you thought it would? It wasn't trustworthy. It couldn't bear the weight. But the Lord's words, the law that he gives us, is trustworthy. We can count on it. And how does it work? It makes wise the simple. The person who says, I don't know how, what I'm supposed to do in this situation. Maybe some of you are facing a choice right now, or choices, and you want to know, what is the thing to do? And you feel quite at odds because you don't have enough information to know which, which way to pick. Or both paths might be equally beneficial in some way. What do you do? Our psalmist would say, well, call out. Look at the word of God. His statutes are trustworthy. They can make wise those who don't know. Wisdom is described in the Old Testament. It is, it's a huge part, it's a noticeable part of the scripture. There are whole books that are called the wisdom genre. And it is a way to understand how we would live, both how life works and then how we would respond because of God in it. Proverbs, a favorite book of mine, Proverbs says, has all kinds of, literally, Proverbs that speak to that. It says, for example, Proverbs 17, quarreling is like breaching a dam. So stop it before it breaks out. California's had its fair share of broken dams in the, in the past, and it always starts as a little tiny hole and then it gets bigger, but once that water can find a way through, once the pressure that's behind that dam has an opening, it will just go right through, and the dam is broken, and the water floods. This is what quarreling is like. You can see quarreling is like. You'd see the way that the image that's supposed to capture us, so we who are wise will not embark on a quarrel because the outcome of that little quarrel, that one, the, the yield to the temptation to say, I'm going to push back. No, that's not what is right. I'm going to say something. There's times when it is right to say something. But there's times where other times where we are just quarreling. We're picking a fight. We're more in touch with our own hurt and woundedness rather than in a mutuality of, of developing, repairing, or working out the relationship. Perhaps some of us know here today relationships that have been frayed by one quarrel, one argument, something, that, something got said that shouldn't have been said, and then it was too late. If you're in that place, Lent is a good time to ask God, Lord, give me wisdom about how to repair that damage. Dams can be repaired. They can be built anew. Relationships can be restored. But wisdom that we need is in those practical ways. Sometimes wisdom reflects just the way that God works in the world. Another proverb says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists those who say, in a, in a sense, I got this, God. I can do it. It's on, I, don't worry. 
Right? That's not a good place to be in. That's not something, the proud says, I don't need you, Lord, for this. And whatever else that is. And we, as followers of him, can say that. When we feel like this is so much in our, in our, in our wheelhouse, it's in our circle of competence, we can do this. You probably can. God has equipped you to do it, but not ever without his help or without his grace. There are too many things that can happen or too many situations that, that can occur. So whatever talent he has given us, the talent to be... Uh, Whatever you're doing at work that is a blessing to work, whatever you're doing on your job, whatever practice, whatever vocation that you have, God has given you that talent, but not to use by yourself, to use dependent and reliant upon him. God resists the proud, but what? He gives grace to the humble. The person who says, Lord, I need your help today. Lord, I need you to find a way. And in just those two examples, we see that the word of God is always active. It is always driving us to a connection with him. It is driving us to a healthy connection with one another, a redemptive connection, a, a, a redemptive connection that says, Lord, I, you know, we, we live in a messed up world and we do messed up things, but I can be in a different, I can present and be more like Christ so that what the enemy meant for evil, we can change for good. The law is perfect, refreshing the soul. The law, the statutes of the Lord, are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart, and the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. We need wisdom in all parts of our life, don't we? There's a lot of stuff in the news these days about artificial intelligence. And there's some scary stuff, there's a lot of unknown stuff, there's a lot of overwrought stuff, a lot of different ways that we can think of artificial intelligence. Here's the part that perhaps concerns me, not a little, which is when you talk, it's one thing to have intelligence to be able to you know, make connections and do that rapidly and to find relationships that maybe it would take us or a team of people a lot longer to find. But when it comes to making wise decisions, when it comes to having a moral grid in which you make these decisions, when it comes to adjudicating what is right, and can we even say that these days, or what is wrong, how is that gonna happen? You have to pick something. You have to pick some framework. I think we should underscore, be, uh, you know, realize that it is artificial intelligence. It's not necessarily d divine intelligence. And so we as followers of the Lord, we who say that, Lord, we want to be your people in this time and this place. What is the divine wisdom, the divine intelligence that we're able to bring? How do we even know what that is? Well, we know it by opening up his word and studying and praying and discussing. No one person will ever have the complete revelation. The Lord is <laughs> too wise for that and we are too frail to be able to bear that weight. That's why he has a church. That's why he has you in a small group. That's why he has you connected with family that know how to pray together, know how to examine the scriptures and see what it might say in that situation. I want to continue with the fact that the scripture that we're talking about, the way that the psalmist is writing it, verse 10 says, it is more precious than gold, much pure gold, sweeter than honey, honey from the honeycomb. This speaks to the value of the word of God. Do we value this as much as we could or should? 
back in our TV watching days, you know, we watched Antiques Roadshow. This was always somebody was bringing something that they thought was a treasure to somebody who could appraise its value. And then, of course, the whole point of the show is that they're stunned when they, just, when they figure out how, worth, how much it's worth. Dreams of glory and all the kinds of things they'll do with this money. But, of course, they always have somebody in the show who's, you know, it's appraised at not much, and they are cheerfully disappointed. But the Word of God, the law of God, the way that Jesus embodies that, the way that Jesus reflects that, is of far greater worth because it connects us with him, because it allows us to live the life that he has for us, because it is the path through which we go through this life. This is what defines, we are a, a church of the Reformation, which means that many, 500 years ago, we thought that this word of God was getting overly complex, perhaps misinterpreted in places, was becoming almost sidelined in, in uh, where other ideas and, and, and rituals were, were gaining the ascendancy and they were getting far afield from what it said about how to worship God. And so the reformers said, we like worshiping God, but we want to worship him the way that it's revealed here. And that way is far more precious than gold, much pure gold, sweeter than honey than the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But then the psalmist turns our attention to this last point about how to be practical. He asks, but who can discern his own errors? He realizes that even with the word, how does he, how does he use this? How does this even work? Who can discern my errors? Who can forgive my hidden faults? And on one hand, we, we read the word of God and we may or may not be convicted about something that we're doing. The Lord is gentle. He, he will reveal only what we can handle. Part of the benefit of Lent, and we were talking about this in catechesis when we were talking about fasting today, part of the benefit is to essentially say, Lord, I am ready to hear what you would say to me about what needs to be let go out of my life because it's too much of me and it is certainly not of you. Who can discern my errors? If we do that with the Lord, with our scriptures open and say, Lord, show us places that need our attention. Show us where we are, are falling out of a place of, of experiencing your love or loving other people. Show us where we are coveting. Show us where we have thoughts about uh, just being so angry with our brother. Show us those places, Lord. And then forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of transgression. Our gospel reading with Jesus in the temple, uh, in the temple area, casting out the money changers, turning over tables. And they're saying, what authority are you doing this? By what authority? And he says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will build it back up. And they're very practical, and they say, well, it took us 46 years. I'm not sure it's going to get done in three days. But as the scripture says, he was speaking to his death and his resurrection. It is through the Lord's resurrection that we have the hope that these verses in Psalm 19 speak of. 
Who can discern our own errors? Well, I open up my scripture to say, Lord, show me this by the power of your spirit. Jesus, show me where I am being offending, where I am a, my ways are offensive to you. Forgive my hidden faults. Don't make them hidden. Allow me to see them that I can let go of them. Keep me from sins that are willful, the things that I, I, I desire to do. Don't think that this scripture doesn't stop making us being self-centered and sinful. It points us to the one who can forgive us so that we can love and be the people that he has made us to be. And the Lord's Spirit uses his word in order to do that. The Lord's Spirit uses the time that we give him in order to do that. The Lord himself uses what he achieved for us on the cross, three days built up and restored to show us that what this word promises has already come true. All things are true in Jesus. And so I pray that just this time of discussion, meditation, speaking about Psalm 19, about the word of God is an encouragement to us wherever this may find us. If it's been a while, it's, it's not like we typically neglect his word. It's just that it gets crowded out little bit by bit. And Lent is a time where we create extra space. My great uncles, it turned out, I, the only thing else I know about him is that he was somewhat of an entrepreneur and successful in places. But he also had some hardships and some challenges. And I wonder if he didn't open the scripture where was he encouraged in those hard times? Where was he inspired? Where did he know that what God was leading him to and helping him to avoid? What delight did he take? Was it only in things of this life, which are so uncertain, as James says? Or did he have a hope for life in the next? The life that we were made for, the life that we were called to, that is the life in the love of Jesus Christ, is so well described in this word. May we embrace it anew. If may we just ask the Lord to give us time to look at it today, tomorrow, and in the season of Lent. May we not be satisfied with the way that we've looked at, with the, our practice at this point. Lord, show me how I can press more into understanding you through your word. Show me how I can obey. Show me my hidden faults. Then I will be blameless, innocent of transgressions. And I close with the prayer that the psalmist ends his psalm with. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This sermon podcast has been a production of Holy Trinity Silicon Valley. We are an Anglican church in the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others, in the Anglican Church in North America. Our community is formed around the scripture, spirit, and sacrament. If you'd like to know more about Holy Trinity, you can head to www.holytrinitysv.org.